0: That's a growler.
1: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Never Ending Minute, where we analyze, scrutinize, and Swamp Makes Me Cry for the movie The Never Ending Story. I'm Thomas
2: Howith.
0: <laughs> I'm Tierney Seal.
2: And I'm Andrew Durowski.
0: Welcome, Andrew.
2: <laughs> I, I am happy to be here with you guys.
1: Thank you so much for volunteering to join us on this section of the movie. I know it couldn't have been an easy decision. <laughs>
0: <laughs> where are you joining us from?
2: <laughs> uh, I live in Utah. Nice.
0: And not, you're... not the
2: swampiest state in the Union.
0: <laughs> no, not so much. And you're also a podcast host, I know. We've yes. stolen you over today. Is that week. what you
2: meant by where are you from?
0: <laughs> um. Where are you from works on many levels? It's a very (laughs) metaphysical question. I I just realized, like,
2: maybe she (laughs) meant, like, on the Internet. Uh, Yes, I, I am a host on Disney Animation Minute Essentials, which is a podcast like this one where we go through Disney animated films one minute at a time. And I am also the producer on the Protagonist podcast.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, We do have quite a journey to go on this week. It doesn't take us very far, but man, is it going to take a lot out of us.
0: We'll get there. We'll (laughs) get there. All right. Um, For those who don't know, today we're talking about Minute 30, which starts with Atreyu continuing his ride across Fantasia as he hunts for the cure for the Empress's illness. And it ends with Bastion's reading voiceover about to tell us where the Shell Mountain, home of Morla the Ancient One, is, which... Doesn't sound too bad until nope. you realize where the shell mountain
1: is. <laughs> hey, save it, save You're, it. Okay, but okay, We don't know. One day at a time know. Time to one so day glad, time. We
0: don't know. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad, Andrew. You get some happiness this week. Yes, let's all we enjoy the brightness ride while it's here. Fantasia, he's out of the desert. He's riding past what I can only assume is a landscape inspired by the Superman movies with those giant crystals everywhere.
2: <laughs> I was going to ask about those giant crystals.
1: Well, we actually find out what they're called later on in the week. Um, they're part of the Crystal Tower area of Fantasia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, so we have a portion out- of
2: the Crystal Tower here.
1: Right. Yes. You can see it kind of in the background. I'm assuming that's what that is in the background, the biggest one. That would make sense. Okay. That's my headcanon, at least.
2: I I wasn't sure if it was more related to or expanded on in the sequel.
1: The sequel, I haven't seen it recently enough to know, but I know if it follows the book, then none of the stuff that's really in this Fantasia is in that Fantasia. It's kind of started all over. He does a Fantasia reboot kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Okay. I, I saw the second one at some point, and I remember a few things. I just don't remember what they were.
1: <laughs> That's kind of <laughs> how I am. Yes. Um, and, and we told our listeners, if we come to the end of this movie and they want us to go on with the sequel, then we'll do it. But it's up to the listeners yeah. to push it forward.
0: I've never seen the sequel, so I, I can't speak to what's in it or not. Um, yeah. I had noticed I have the book open in front of me. I'll, I'll talk about it more later when we actually get the line of where he's been searching, but there isn't, the crystal towers mentioned in the book, but there is the glass tower of Aribu where the inhabitants of the region caught and stored starlight out of the starlight. They made wonderfully decorative objects. The purpose of which however was known to no one in all of fantastica, but their makers. Interesting. So I guess the crystals could also be part of the glass tower. I mean, it, it I,
2: works. I guess, but <laughs> I can't imagine the glass tower having these crystals like protruding out of the ground. Right. Yeah. So
1: we do, this is the end of a montage of him traveling through the different areas of of Fantasia. And (laughs) most people love talking about these because the matte paintings were amazing. The set designs, there were four separate set designs that they used to take you through these areas. And so much work went into this one minute, like basically one minute of transition. And you can see the money that they put into this one minute. So that you could feel like Fantasia was a fuller place.
2: Yeah, where where do you think in this like this kind of opening shot with the crystals and everything, where does the matte painting hit, and where does the uh, where does the the stage stop?
1: You know, it's kind of interesting. I think the stage ends right behind that ridge of crystals that comes down. Right, on, that would make side.
2: sense. Yeah, yeah. I think have, like, that's probably the the best. Um, the best place i would think
1: yeah these are large hate. sets um i do know that these these sets are huge the sound stages are enormous
2: because he's got enough room to get the horse kind of up to speed right
0: yeah he, he had huge sets for riding the horse around and actually the way he's dodging you know going around the scrub in this minute made me think of the stories of how he was injured in training for the riding scenes and it's like yeah. he could have just just go straight. Don't do that. Don't lean. I'm I'm very nervous for his safety. Um uh, this is actually the riding scene that made me realize that Thomas was absolutely right in a previous moment when he pointed out that a looks way too big for that horse. <laughs> and I don't understand how I watched this movie so many times in my childhood and never noticed that before.
2: I mean, like it's a small horse.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: But I always attributed that to like it's his horse, and he's young. He's, like, 14. Right. Some and and so 14. I'd say it's like, oh, well, a full-size horse wouldn't wouldn't look right. Like, the proportions would be wrong. But then I guess this skews a little bit the other way, where the proportions are wrong, and he's a little too big
1: for this horse. Right. It makes it look unnatural.
2: It's
1: like it's a miniature pony like,
2: or
0: something. Is it a pony? Yeah. But I also, I also
2: grew up playing the Legend of Zelda games, and in Ocarina of Time, as young Link you ride a young horse, and then as Big Link, you ride a big horse, and the horse okay. grows up. So maybe I had kind of resolved it based on occurring of Time.
1: <laughs> well, Unfortunately, I don't Whatever know that works we get to see you. Big
0: <laughs> Don't!
2: I wasn't oh, going to no. say it ahead of time.
1: That's <laughs> we, right. That's I'm right. just saying, steal yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to this transition, if you guys are ready to...
2: <clears throat>
0: Uh, the transition the, to our super cool POV shot. I was yeah, it,
2: it's an amazing shot, and not one that you see replicated a lot. Not only because it's a POV, but like literally pushing through that scrub.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, the steadicam here at work here was amazing, and you have to think this is when steadicam wasn't all that used in a lot of practices. This is kind of new, and the way they set it up worked rather well. So you get the POV of pushing through those bushes and we get to look at the scene where we know that Artax and you just were sitting here.
0: Mm-hmm. That was a little while ago, but yes, the, the Gamork is definitely tracking them.
1: One thing that I really liked about the shot though is the way the brush is covering the POV. And mm-hmm. then when you cut back to see Gamork, they have that same brush in the way.
0: So, oh yeah. It's- you know
1: This is actually on set. They had this brush sitting there and one time they came through and had the camera from one side. And now they have it from the other side. It's really mm-hmm. nice oh. that they took that time and care to do and that. And that
0: musical cue. Oh, it's so good. Oh,
1: Which the one? Vi- the violins coming in.
0: The, the, our scary villain is here. Musical cue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well,
2: I mean, this villain for so much of it is just kind of still frames. And I mean, I, I know they're not still, still frames, but yeah. small shots and the music. Like, that's yeah. what Gamork is, is, yeah. is being accompanied by that music.
0: Because to be fair, do we really think this would have held up to much more?
2: No. No. He, in fact, <laughs> it super doesn't when he actually does
0: show up. Yeah. I just loved the whole... Is it... late Motif? I, my music 101 is showing here. But the fact that everyone has their own little themes...
2: Uh, sort of like a Peter and the Wolf thing.
0: Yes, yep. exactly. And I, I, think, was I saying, think leitmotif
2: is the word you want.
0: Yeah. And, and Peter and the Wolf is a perfect example. But also, I feel like as a kid, those were everywhere. Every movie, every character. Like, you knew. I was infamous in my house for when I heard, when I listened to the Three Little Pigs, like, you know, book on tape, turn the page thing. Mm-hmm. The, you would hear the music before the Big Bad Wolf showed up. And I would, like, jump up and scream, oh, no, he's coming. And, like... <laughs> You just, you're kind of trained as a kid, musically, oh, I
1: feel oh, like. Oh, it's, it's no joke, and my daughter does it now, so I, I only have her every other weekend, and when she's here, we watch movies, and it's about an hour and a half drive for me to go get her, so on our drives, we generally listen to, like, Disney Pandora, and this kid will tell you what exactly is happening in the movie for every bit of music that we hear. <laughs> she's like, Dad, she just took her gloves off. Dad, she just she's she's making snow, Dad. Dad, she's standing at the water, and she'll start quizzing me on it, like, "Why'd she do that, Dad? What happened?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I she, can't
0: speak to Elsa's motivation, kid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she's sad because she lost her glove, and she'll explain it to me. It's so awesome; I love it.
0: Oh well, the Disney movies are definitely part of that, but I. I feel like it. What you know, Peter and the Wolf comes to mind, and then even in the eighties, like the John Williams scores, you'd hear the I, same I was thinking snippets about repeated.
2: John Williams, when you brought it up, and I think this is probably following closer to a John Williams um, tradition for that. In yep. things like Star Wars, where you have the Imperial March, and you're going to hear a variation on that pretty much every time it it wipes into an Imperial scene mm-hmm. after a certain point, and you get the same sort of heroic Luke Skywalker theme. Every time you see Luke Uh, and and it's really a fantastic like element. Uh, It's in the Indiana Jones movies too. Um, John Williams probably is, is the most significant uh, user of that where he's like, well, I'll do this sort of not like a jingle, but it's pretty much that character's jingle.
0: (laughs) And he works it into the score when it's that,
2: when, when they're on the screen.
0: Yep, Lord of the Rings did that really well too. Where they drop little things. They drop little bits of the Shire theme when different hobbits were talking to each other when you know they were nowhere near the shire they're doing something totally different but you just get that little bit of it in there
2: yeah yeah that's that's another really good example of it yeah i i love things like that where you get just like this hint of a theme at at a different time when it's completely a different context but a character Mm -hmm. is feeling something and so you get this undercurrent of that character's inner uh inner state of mind
1: Yes, the exactly. music in this movie definitely evokes all the emotions for you. Oh, it's almost uh, it's almost boy, like a, a, a color by numbers for feelings. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I
0: wonder though if that is like a common thing because we're talking about John Williams' Lord of the Rings. Like those are grown up movies, but not really. I mean, they're movies you grow up with, and I I do think it comes back a little bit. I don't want to say like brainwashing of kids, but there is a little bit of like I feel like training when you're a kid. Like, how do you know it's the bad guy? Well, it's got the bad guy music. Like, you can just mm-hmm. feel it. I, and, yeah. I,
2: I agree. Um, I went earlier today to see Spider-Man Homecoming. <gasps> and so last night. I'm
0: going tomorrow. I'm going tomorrow, guys. I'll get there.
2: <laughs> and there was uh, a few times I actually felt like the music was heavy-handed. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, you're kind, of, you're kind of emotionally loading this based solely on the music a little more than what you've got on screen which hmm. is okay. Like it's, it's fine that they do it. And I'm sure for people who don't regularly break down and discuss movies in close detail, <laughs> it, it was more subtle.
0: Um, you know, people like that still. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, well, I, I mean, I, I don't know anyone to ask them.
0: Oh, okay. it's like, did you feel
2: like in this scene, the music was a little heavy handed in introducing the villainous, uh, overtones or, or was it, did you notice it?
0: <laughs> you know, I don't have anyone
2: to have that conversation with, but, um, you know there were there were a few moments I'm like, okay, the music's maybe pulling a little too much of the weight here
0: mm.
2: to the point where I, I was really noticing it's like, oh, this music is is doing the work, right, yeah, um, but in something like like never ending story, I feel like it works together very well in these minutes in particular, where oh, I yeah. can hear it it's like, oh, cue the saddest synth music that ever was <laughs> penned uh, and and everything, but is really matching what's on the screen very well. And it's not pushing anything that's not there.
0: It flares and it goes completely perfectly with the action on screen. And I absolutely love if you listen to Indiana Jones Minute, when we enter the swamp, did anyone else hear the sad gong?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I missed the the gong part. It's
0: right when you enter. And then it's that perfect under Bastion's voiceover is that beat, which is very quiet.
1: Oh, but it's gosh. gonna build.
0: It's so well done.
1: And not only is it a beat, there's the the beat that's easy here, but there's this undertone of this deep, deep drum beat, like the the
0: yes, thum. almost oh, like a my heartbeat. Uh, get <laughs>
1: <laughs> So are we actually ready to move out of the brightness now? Or are we? Are we stepping into the swamp?
0: Um, we we can mention where they explored. So while we're in the swamp, <laughs> we can still think about happy things. Um, Wait,
2: I did have one thing before oh, we get into okay. that. One thing about Gmork. Is this, like, the weirdest shade of green that his eyes get throughout the film?
1: You know, I think they crazy shade. It's
2: a pretty funky, like, jello electric green.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of the effect that they originally used for the Emperor's eyes. Like, Oh, uh, yeah.
2: Where they, like, replaced it with chimpanzee eyes. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, these what? stand out really weird in, in this version.
1: Yeah, um, it's... It is what it is. It's an effect that I, I can't quite say it's bad, but it's It's a choice. Right, it's a choice. <laughs> there
2: you go. I just think that like whatever color that is, like that's a pretty that's a pretty intense color. And I feel like in this shot, because there's so much like regular light and usually he's he's a little more fully in shadow, I would say. Mm, yeah. Um it's it's a little different to say, okay, that that color compared to like the green that i see in the forest cutting back and forth from from the pov <laughs> to him like that's not a natural green right
1: you can definitely ch- tell that it was added in afterwards that's like that's colored. like
2: a, a ninja turtles ooze green <laughs>
0: right <laughs> maybe that's why i enjoy it so much it's completely <laughs> in my growing up in the late 80s wheelhouse i think it was
1: i think we mentioned this before but it is an interesting choice that they chose to go with green instead of something more sinister like red, red.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, in um, in Disney movies, actually, villain villains typically have green yeah. eyes. It's yeah. very consistent, um, starting like, with Snow White.
0: Green, but they have, swirling, mist. Yeah, but, but their they eyes things. are yeah.
2: very consistently uh, uh, green-eyed villains.
0: Yeah, and they
1: have color palettes that they tend to use for villains in comics and yeah. stuff like that. Purples and greens and stuff yeah. like that. As yeah.
2: opposed to the primary reds, blues, and yellows. Right. So
1: we've uh, done it, guys. We're in, the, we're in the swamp now. All right. What so did it take
2: to get here, Tierney?
0: Let's <laughs> think about happy things first. Um, I'm looking at the book, The Neverending Story by Michael Ende. I hope I'm pronouncing that right as we're half an hour into the movie. <laughs> uh, he mentions the Silver Mountains, which Bastion mentions here. Uh, he saw them in the distance. He galloped. He spurred his horse. They were always some distance away. Uh, the Desert of Shattered Hopes isn't mentioned in the book, but we saw that in our montage of yes. him walking through. And we just reconciled the crystal towers with this glass tower of a reboot. Um, the searching that he does in the book is intercut with each night. He dreams of hunting the purple Buffalo. He gets closer and closer and he chooses not to shoot him. And I really don't mind that this isn't in the book or right. in the movie. Rather the, the only thing is in the book, this purple Buffalo is the one who tells him to go find Morla. The aged right. one, And so in the movie, it's just kind of like, he's, he's just going, you he's don't got know a che- where he he's got a that.
1: checklist.
2: He's yeah. Going. That's, yeah. that's kind of how I always took it for the film was there's, there's a checklist and Morla's kind of at the bottom. It's like, well, if you can't go anywhere else, yeah. go find Morla.
0: He searches everywhere. The one part that doesn't get mentioned that I really wish they had done, well two, but one that in this one, the second day they pass through the singing tree country Each tree had a different shape, different leaves, different bark, but all of them growing, and this is what gave the country its name, made soft music that sounded from far and near and joined in a mighty harmony that hadn't its like for beauty in all Fantastica. And I wish we had gotten to see that, because that would have been really cool. I feel like
2: that would have been outside their capabilities (laughs) to portray effectively. That one's a tough one. If not
1: their capabilities, definitely their budget.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair. And then the other thing that we don't get is it actually one of the last things he does before the purple Buffalo tells him to go find Marla is he actually goes to the howling forest uh, where our messengers were at the beginning when they were camping out, which I think is why they didn't do this because you'd be going back, but not, you know, he's supposed to be traveling to new places, Um, but he meets bark trolls in the book Giants and giantesses who themselves looked like gnarled tree trunks. As long as they stood motionless as they usually did, you could easily mistake them for trees and ride on unsuspecting. The bark trolls that he meets in the book have actually fought the, no- or resisted the nothing. So he says, I'm just going to read this uh, paragraph because it's really quick. And I want you to imagine what this movie would have done with these characters. Okay. Three bark trolls emerged from the woods and came toward him. A cold shiver ran down his spine at the sight of them. The first, having no legs or haunches, was obliged to walk on his hands. The second had a hole in his chest, so big you could see through it. The third hopped on his right foot because the whole left half of him was missing, as if he had been cut through the middle. So So they got too close to the nothing, and bits of them have been lost.
1: Interesting.
2: So what I'm hearing is that if this were to be remade, Guillermo del Toro... (laughs)
0: <laughs> that's, oh god that's the that would man. be perfect
1: that would be pretty
2: awesome yeah
0: yeah it, it explained how everyone has fled howling forest except them they didn't want to leave it says the nothing caught us in our sleep and this is what it did to us atreyu asks if it's very painful and the second bark troll says no you don't feel a thing there's just something missing
2: mm. and then they
0: show him he like climbs up a tree so he can actually see the nothing and that's the first time he sees the nothing uh-huh. in the book and it's so creepy. But when I was reading it, especially when I was reading it for doing this for this analysis, I was like, "Man, I want to see that." And now, as an adult, I probably would have like screamed as a kid. <laughs> but... Yeah, it sounds it
2: sounds relatively creepy.
1: <laughs> and I think oh, this movie has its enough dark moments of its own.
0: <laughs> this movie—it's so funny when you read the book and you're like, "Wow, that was really dark in the movie," and it's so much darker in the book. <laughs> oh yeah. man! But yeah, I. That was what I missed.
1: It's kind of like all the uh, Disney fairy tales. (laughs) When you read the actual books that came from, it is so much darker. It's like, oh, "Oh, they cleaned it up so much for this movie. (laughs) It's almost not the same anymore.
0: We talked about that a little bit on Return to Oz, because when Dorothy is telling someone about the Tin Man in Oz, she's describing how he became the Tin Man in the books, not the movie. which, which
2: is kind of grotesque. He yes. he
0: cuts off each limb one at a time, including his head, and it's replaced with tin. La la, mm-hmm. happy children's story. And I was just like, "Go go Disney, going for it."
2: Um, in I mean, I'd say with the Wizard of Oz, there is a certain way to kind of couch all of it in a certain whimsy, which mm-hmm. I think I think Baum did uh, very carefully and intentionally. But the Marvel uh, Wizard of Oz comic adaptations are very mm-hmm. good at at making that work, where it's like this is a world where these things happen and it's okay. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in Neverending Story, they didn't want to make it okay because it's supposed to be this intense darkness, and so they make it a world where these things happen and it's not okay. Yeah, and that's yeah. probably what happened in Disney's adaptation for um for Return to Oz is is they made it in in that tone where it's like this is kind of creepy and you're supposed to accept it with your regular world eyes instead of like, this is a fantasy yeah. world where this stuff just goes on and it's okay.
0: Yeah. yeah. But this one, I mean, never any sorry, It's the end of the world. <laughs> yeah. That's what the much, yeah. Is. So oh.
1: the filming that they did for the swamp of sadness, so I'm going to try to break this up over the week, but the first scene that we have here um, gets talked about. They talk about the set design and stuff like that. And they say that they used large trees in the foreground, smaller trees in the background to achieve the look of distance along with smoke and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And they also made it so that there was a decline to the set from from what we see in the foreground to the background so that we can actually see a horizon of sorts which gives it that added dimension of distance. Hmm. And they said that for these first scenes to really pull it in, they added the smoke and they made it sure that it was side scrolling because they had to keep the camera at a certain height so that it maintained that illusion of distance.
2: Hmm.
1: I'd say it works. Yes. (laughs) It doesn't look like a soundstage to me at all.
0: No, it Hmm. looks great. And it matches the description of the book very well for the different trees and stuff. So,
1: all right. Well, I think that's all I have for this minute. I made it for, through our first one of the week.
2: <laughs> I you said it. We're going to
0: get through this together. Yes,
2: <laughs> I, I, need, I need
1: my friends and my, and my listeners here to help mm-hmm. me get through this.
2: <laughs> oh, uh, one thing I did want to drop in uh, just okay. here at the beginning of the week uh, to help with the whole week 1 800 273 8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline.
1: Thank you very much, yes, and we'll, we'll give that a moment of reverence because it does deserve it.
2: Yeah, 1-800-273-8255.
1: All right. That being said, thank you, everybody, for joining us again this week. Andrew, where can they find you out on the interwebs?
2: Uh, you can find the Disney Animation Minute Essentials podcast in podcast receptacles of your choice. Also, <laughs> the protagonist podcast the same way.
0: Awesome.
1: Uh, Tierney, do you want to have any plugs you want to drop for today?
0: Uh, well, since I mentioned it, I co-host Return to Oz Minute, which is on Twitter at Oz Minute and online at returntozminute.com. And again, you'd find it in any podcast catcher.
1: Awesome. So
0: if you like this sort of thing, come join us over there, too.
1: <laughs> Sounds great. And if you're looking for more information on this podcast, you can join our page, Never Any Minute. You can join our listener society on facebook which is the never any minute listener society where we can talk about all this together if you guys want to shout out about the way this makes you feel we'd be happy to listen and and share with you or share back with you and have a conversation we have more swamps of sadness tomorrow but that's That's another another story story.
2: i forgot what i was supposed to say
1: Uh, Uh, and and it shall
2: be told another time Another time. Another time. Perfect. Awesome. Wow,
1: something is really different on a grower. I'm keeping your bones.